We are back for episode 185 of the Sales Development Podcast, powered by Tenbound, hosted by David Delaney. My name is James Bodden, here to introduce today's guest, George Leith, Chief Customer Officer and SVP of Sales at Vendasta. David and George kick off the episode, and George fills us in on Vendasta's model, how they've grown through the channel partner, and how they help customers. Around the 15-minute mark, George talks about how Vendasta's CEO and himself crossed paths and began working together and how this company was born. Around the 30-minute mark, George talks about his journey building out the sales team at Vendasta inbound outbound, all bound, and how they prepare their SDRs to work in other parts of the organization. A fantastic part of the podcast for any SDR leaders out there. And wrapping up episode 185, George and David talk about how much of a mental game that sales is. And George shares some really great tips on keeping mentally sharp and sound. Head over to tenbound.com, leave us a review, And as always, enjoy episode 185 of the Sales Development Podcast. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. I am honored and blessed to be joined by our next guest, someone who we have admired from afar for quite a while, and I've got a ton of questions for Mr. George Leith, Chief Customer Officer and SVP of Sales at Vendasta. How are you doing today, sir? David, great to speak to you. I'm doing quite well. Well, thanks for coming on. And I know you're you're back to back and doing a lot of great stuff. So I, I'm just excited we could share your knowledge with the listeners and dive in. George, tell us a little bit about Vendasta and how you got involved with the organization. Yeah, we're a software company. We're based out of Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. You know, we've been at this for about 13 years. I joined the organization almost 10 years ago as the first salesperson. We now have 215 in our customer-facing side of the business and over 520 employees. We build a platform for resellers to go to market with SaaS solutions. And we started in the MarTech space. We have over 52,000 channel partners that use our platform and sell solutions to just about 5 million businesses. And you'll find the Vendasta platform and the businesses that we work with in almost 50 countries now. Oh, wow. That is crazy. Okay. So a bunch of questions there. So, but first of all, on the product, so take me down to the, you know, street level, like who's the customer and how do you support the agencies and the different partners that you work with? Yeah. You know, first to get language correct so that we can paint the picture, you know, we started in the media business. Because if you remember back 10 years ago, if you were selling a box on a paper, being a newspaper or a yellow page company, those businesses changed dramatically. And they had a relationship with businesses, small and medium enterprises, but the product that they were selling, advertising was changing and they had the ability to actually add other products and services in and solve more problems like a, you know, an e-commerce website or search engine optimization. We started in the media business And then we started to ride this wave of digital marketing agency growth. And about seven years into the journey, we found telecommunications companies, banks, accountants, all sorts of people lining up, including managed service providers and IT consultants. And basically, whoever had the most trust with the business owner was going to be able to bring them other solutions. And they're looking for that trusted expert. 
So that's what we call a channel partner. And, you know, those are our customers. And then the channel partners have customers of their own. And we build products and services that we sell through to those, or we have them in our marketplace ecosystem. So the first component is a platform, and that is the reseller network. And then we have the customers that those resellers serve. So we really have two different value propositions. It's not a simple story to tell. Yeah, it's so interesting. So the folks in the community who have the trusted relationships, they've been working with these people for a long time, they'll come to you and they can access the system that you have in place to offer more and more you know, cutting edge services to their current customer base. Is that correct? Yeah, there's a number of problems, David, that we're working to solve. And you know, my background is in the media business. So I worked in the radio business right out of high school and I was selling you know, before I was probably doing anything. So I've been selling for a long time. And I remember in the mid nineties, I wanted to start my own radio station and that was pretty hard. You, you know, you had to get federal approval. You had to have a whole bunch of money. But in 2021, if I want to start an agency or I want to, you know, sell SaaS products and services, the barrier to entry is way lower and technology has been democratized. What we have is a platform, an all-in-one platform for somebody that is has an ecosystem of customers. They want to do, you know, modern lead gen using marketing automation and insight-based selling, and then they want to sell products and services through the customer and show value. So we, you know, we aren't really, we aren't really pigeonholed into one particular product. If it's a software solution or a service that relates to a software solution, we've built a platform and an ecosystem to allow that reseller to be able to sell anything or even to digitize what they sell today to do it in a, in a digital format. But we're, we're really, really focused on those end customers and their success as well. And that's a big part of our growth. So we add about 1,000 new resellers a month if our acquisition teams are doing a good job. And then those new resellers add businesses every single day, every minute of every day to our platform and sell them more and more products and services as they continue to build out that level of trust. Wow. This is so interesting because it, like you said, this is something that couldn't exist, you know, just like a decade ago or maybe, you know, further back. I mean, so essentially your partners, they want to create value for their customers. And so they want to be able to provide systems that create that value. And there's no way with all the technology that's available, that they can stay on top of everything, but they just want to create that value. So they can plug into you and you take care of all the complexity. You just provide the systems that they need to then create value with their customers. Absolutely. And what we identified in 2013, 2014 with the first channel partners that we had, our first customers, was they, they had a product issue because their legacy products, you know, the business was changing. But more than that, there was no platform to deliver digital solutions at scale. You would have to put together about seven different systems to build what our platform does. So, you know, there's a cost associated with that. There's a chance of failure in bringing those components together. Not to mention the fact that if we want to add another product or service, we got to do RFPs. There's a chance we might not find the right solution. When we integrate something into our marketplace where we have over 500 different products or services now, we vet those products and, and find the best in breed. 
So we, we have a marketplace, but it's a best in class marketplace so that our channel partners don't have to go through that heavy lifting of doing the RFPs, the requests for proposals. I remember a channel partner of ours in, in Australia telling us a few years back that it, it cost them a half a million dollars US to bring a new product to market. And they had no, you know, they had a very high failure rate around that investment as well. So it's, it's hard, right? You got to do a bunch of RFPs. You got to connect the systems technologically. Imagine if you could just go into a marketplace, pick the thing that you want to resell. And by, you know, later today, you're out on the street putting it in the hands of your customer, it really reduces that barrier to entry in new markets and new innovation. Okay. So, you know, I'm just thinking back because I'm, I'm from the 90s too, right? So, and, that, and <laughs> what it makes me think of is in the old days, they had the for dummies books. So there was, remember those? They were yellow books. I do. And, right. <laughs> and so- They were for me. Uh, I know. I've got a whole stack of them right here. And, and so every time you wanted to go learn something, first you had to go buy- one of those. And then you had to learn everything. And then you weren't very good at it. I'm talking for myself, but you were, you, you know, you no, had to no, learn no, I'm how same to. as you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything was how to, right? How to, and you had to learn it all yourself. But I think what's really interesting about this is that that economy is shifted radically because of the cloud-based you know, technology that we have that now, instead of spending, you know, half a million dollars, you have to run the RFPs, you have to learn everything, you have to buy the four dummies book, right? And you you just plug into a company like yours, and they've done the headache for you. They've given, you know, right? Well, it, it is that. And then it also is when we talk to someone that built a, a great product or a great solution, we offer them distribution. So, you know, there, there are new technology companies being born every minute. In fact, you know, some studies say that there were a million new software companies started in the last six months on this planet. How are all those new products and services going to go to market? You got to make a decision. Do you want to go direct to businesses? Do you want to go through a distribution network? That's really where we sit. We're a platform, but we're also a distributor that can help new products and services get to market. So when we sit down with a new product or service, we bring our buying power as well, because we still have those media partners from back in the day. We, in fact, we have over 50,000 channel partners that have, you know, they tell us they have 85,000 salespeople that are on the street selling. So if you were selling a new product or service, you probably would want to use that ecosystem. Oh, 100%. I mean, it, it just makes me think, you know, because we, we do a landscape of the sales development space, which is a small, very micro niche, you know, of people who are doing sales development. And we do a landscape and we've got over, there's the new market map coming out with over 500 products and services that are to support sales development, 500. And so, it's mind boggling to try to think about that. The human brain just, you know, you, you get sort of deer in the headlights to try to think, where do I even start with this? So we tried to make a directory and stuff like that. But, you know, at some point, there's something like what you're doing is the answer, it seems. Well, and we, you know, we are actually bringing in now solutions to help our channel partner sales organizations as well. So the, the platform is the infrastructure. There's products and services that can be resold through to the businesses. But what I'm finding, and I, I make a point of, because we have this layer where we have the channel partner between us and the 
business owner. So the hardware store, the plumber, the hospital, the university, whatever that end customer might be. I actually make a point of working with some of those end customers, you know, to learn. And I was working with a plumbing company here recently, not a small two location plumbing company. They got about 30 employees. They do about 7 million a year and they have the usual suspects. You know, they're trying to figure out what their CRM is going to be. They're trying to figure out, could they do email marketing? They're trying to figure out, you know, how they do remote selling because some people don't want them coming in the house. They want to take them downstairs on a, you know, FaceTime, you know, or something like that. So while we're finding that people are going, software companies are going to market, they want to incorporate inside sales. It seems that every business needs to get better at their revenue motions and utilize the technology that exists to be more efficient. And, and that's because the buyers want that experience. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. So, so now with the pandemic that we're hopefully, you know, wrapping up here any minute now, you know, has that been a surge of interest in what you're doing? Because, you know, not only are a lot of people starting companies, they're starting agencies and there's, there's more noise in the market, but people are becoming more accustomed to a digital solution, it seems, versus in person. Yeah, we, you know, we say sometimes maybe we're right place at right time. You know, there's nothing good about COVID, but we were, we were talking about an e-commerce motion for our channel partners. So our channel partners can have an online store and sell digital solutions through their online store. That's the underpinnings of our platform. But then in addition to that, we're able to help those channel partners offer e-commerce to their customer base. And I'm not just talking about the shopping cart experience that we all think about first when we think about e-commerce, but I'm even going as far as, you know, remote scheduling, being able to, you know, do what we're doing here that you and I probably take for granted, which is, a, you know, a Zoom call or a Google Meet or a Teams, you know, what is that remote experience? And some organizations didn't have any of this because they were used to a face-to-face experience that that's how they're motion but that didn't work out to, for us very well when you know we were we were in lockdowns and some parts are still in lockdown so you know our platform helps with that plus we have the tools to help the customer base those end users start to take some of those best practices of, of post-covid and, and make it a thing like curbside delivery contactless payment online booking whatever it might be Yeah. I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. Like we live in super high tech San Francisco, but before COVID, we could never get through that last mile of delivering groceries. Right. (laughs) And and I I tried to push for it, but, you know, my wife likes to go and look at the watermelons and, you know, (laughs) make sure that everything's cool. But we finally, there's no choice. Right. So now a year later, I mean, we're getting groceries over here. We're, we're getting our gas delivered. There's a company that oh, wow. literally will pump <laughs> the gas in, in the car. And then yesterday, the battery had died on the car. And a guy came over, you know, never even talked to the guy. I mean, I just had the hood open a little bit, popped it in, do-to-do, fixed it, never saw him, paid the whole thing. I mean, this is huge. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I I agree with that, David. You know, the one thing you and I spend all day long talking, hopefully we spend some time listening. And when I get done the day, the last thing I want to do is stand in line at the grocery store. I'm the first guy, I'll actually stand in a longer line to go to the robot. And it's it's not because I don't like talking to people. It's just I'm talked out. 
Plus, you know, I'm getting some rocks delivered to my house because I'm doing some landscaping because we're all now expert landscapers and painters and home improvement folks because we need something to do. I'm not talking to anybody at the landscape company. I ordered the three yards of rock online. I sent a picture of where I want it dumped on my driveway. And I got a phone call that I'm going to take in a voicemail message because I didn't actually answer it. And I know that that stuff's on my driveway because I checked my camera and I know that it's exactly where I said it was going to be. So, you know, it's a whole different experience in most of our transactions now. Oh my gosh. I mean, somebody said uh, your phone is now the remote control for your life. I thought that that's such an apt analogy because it's literally like I sit here, ah, I want something to eat. Boom. You know, I want my car fixed. <laughs> I want some rock in my driveway. You're doing everything for, through your phone. So people have to adapt. And this is such an interesting, you know, system that you guys have set up. Now, I want to ask you just to shift gears a little bit. So you said you were the first sales hire at this company. Now it's this monolithic, you know, huge company. What was that like? Was it a venture funded company? Was it, you know, a couple of folks in their garage? What did you come into when you got into this? And tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great story. So Brendan King, who is our CEO, I mentioned earlier that I'm from the media business. I used to sell him radio ads in the late 80s and early 90s when he was an entrepreneur and built a chain of computer stores. We stayed in touch. I went on to be an entrepreneur. I had a number of businesses. He went on to work in what was SaaS software before it was even SaaS. They had 165,000 real estate agents on a platform with no salespeople. And six folks that were in that company in the real estate space started Vendasta. And, you know, they had an idea that there was an opportunity there. So reputation management was where we started. Online reputation management, then social media, then listings management. And then that was where we discovered that there was no platform. And we, you know, we started to build out the platform. So when they recognized that they were going to do channel and media was the first channel that was interested in reselling the products and services. Actually, the Hearst Corporation was one of the first customers. You know, he needed somebody that could speak media. And, you know, I was an old media guy. So let's, you know, and he knew me. So let's get George in here and see if, you know, we actually can sell this thing because they, you know, the business they came from before, it was, you know, a platform and it was infinitely scalable. And, you know, it was SaaS software before that was even an acronym. But in this motion, they were going to have to figure out how to build channel and how to go to customer. So I came in as the, the media interpreter. I, I understood how to speak to media folks. I had been a media person. I knew what the problems were. And, you know, that's re- where we really started to dig into this. And, and I'll tell you, I was, I was a very binary type of salesperson back then. And I had to learn how to make a sales engine. And, uh, you know, it's been a lot of learning. I'm not opposed to reading the odd book and, and I like learning and being a student. So, you know, connecting with folks like you and, and other individuals that, that have been pioneers in this space over the years has paid dividends because, you know, you got to learn and you got to adapt. And I, I think I've been comfortable with being uncomfortable most of my life. So I thrive in this space of everything isn't buttoned up and, you know, you're, you're growing at a massive rate and you don't really look at it and go, wow, this whole thing's running really well. There's, you know, there's always little components that need to be improved and, or maybe big problems that even after, you know, almost 10 years, we still don't have them figured out. 
And now when you say binary, were you walking in with like a yellow pad and a pencil and a bunch of notepad, you know, one of those things, post-it notes and stuff like that? Is that what you're talking about? Were you, yeah, you know, yeah. I thought that success in sales was a yes or no, like, okay. you know, and mostly a yes, not, you know, how do you build out a repeatable model? How do you, you know, what are the talk tracks that are really going to resonate with the, with the prospect? How do you get a salesperson to bring their personality into a conversation, but yet still deliver the value proposition, set proper expectations so that you've got a very high, you know, customer NPS that you can build on? Like, how do you build a repeatable machine and, and build the processes around that and measure it? And, you know, all of those things, when you, when you come from a space where I like the Jerry Maguire quote was put me in a living room and I can get the deal done. You know, that was really the way that I saw myself. I'm a deal maker, but then to, to build it so you can have tens of thousands of deal makers and give them an ecosystem where they can be successful. That that's a piece that I'm, I'm still struggling with and, you know, trying to figure out. That's so amazing. And so that's interesting because you said you knew the founders, you know, and you'd work together and then they, they needed your, expertise. They remembered you. What do you think is important in that first sales hire? You know, when you're starting to see traction, but you need a first sales hire, because some people don't have a Rolodex. They don't know a rock star, you know, like you, they just have to go out cold. What's important for that? Because it seems like you coming in, being able to speak the language, being successful, being a learner, being able to scale. I mean, they got, I wouldn't say lucky, but... (laughs) You know, I mean, they found the right first sales hire, right? But for some people, uh, they don't. What do you think? No, you know, it's funny, David. You ask a question because I I have the privilege of mentoring a lot of SaaS startups now because you know I want to help out and I want to give back. Plus, we're not a startup anymore, and I kind of miss those days sometimes because I, I used to be able to do stuff. <laughs> you know, now you got to have a process and it's got to be all buttoned up, which is fine. But I was just talking to a gentleman this morning that had that question as well. He's you know, the head of a SaaS startup, he's figuring out what his first sales hire looks like. And I'm like, you just need appointments. You are the one that's going to deliver the presentation. And, you know, they only have 17 customers. I'm like, you don't have this figured out yet. You need a hundred where you've closed a hundred of them. And the only person that can build out that talk track and figure it out is you. So if you're looking to bring in a sales hire, and I look back, our, our CEO was in a lot of those early presentations. Like we were figuring it out together and, and trying to build a repeatable process. So, you know, that first hire should be somebody that can think outside the box, you know, doesn't mind getting punched in the face the odd time and, and failing because you're looking for the failures as much as you're looking for the wins to figure out where a repeatable model is. And then I, I remember when we first started to build out our inside sales motions, you know, we brought in somebody to help us. That was the other thing. Find mentors that can help you with this. And they said, they were like, you're going to have to write the script. And I'm like, okay, I I don't do that. And they're like, no, you do. And they kind of distilled down what writing a script really means. It's, you know, I actually was using a script. I just didn't realize it because I think that when we say the word script, it scares us. It's like, oh, they're going to take away my personality. No, like think about Robert Downey Jr., one of my favorite actors like new Robert Downey Jr., Iron Man Robert Downey Jr. They give him the script and they John Favreau comes in as the director, but Robert Downey Jr. makes Iron Man who he is. But, you know, he can't just go off and talk about a story that doesn't align to what the director has. So, you know, as that 
you know, when you're building that script or the talk track, you're really part of the director and the actor at the same time where you're figuring out what's going to resonate with the audience. So that, you know, that's something that we learned in those early days. And yeah, I don't know if they would describe it as lucky that, you know, I came on board, but I definitely did know the language of, of that audience and understood what wasn't going to work while we were trying to figure out what would work. Yes. And, you know, it's just the, the attitude that you bring in. And I, I think a lot of founders are technicians, right? They build products. They're not necessarily salespeople per se. And, and that's why they're just like, oh, I got to hire a first salesperson. That's going to solve all of my revenue problems. And I could get back to building this product, right? But what you're saying is, hey, even if you're a tech person, you, you still have to be involved in sales at the beginning, right? Well, it's the only way you're going to you're going to distill the fake news, because okay. the minute that you put a you put a salesperson out there talking to a customer, you've now got two chances for fake news and you want to stay close to it. And, you know, I'm I try to stay as close as I can to the CTO and to the people who are running the various product teams, because I want them to trust that I'm going to give them the non fake news, you know, the truth as best as I know it at the time from what the customer is trying to solve. And so you're involved in keeping the customers happy. That's one of your purviews is, you know, making sure that the NPS score stays high and everybody's super excited. So how do you do that? How do you keep in touch with everybody beyond just the metrics that you see? You said one example, you went out and you talked to this company face to face and, you know, got this information. How do you make sure that they stay happy and they're, they're, staying with you? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's something that we continue to, to work on and iterate. So one of the things that I, I've been asked to do by our investors and our executive team is to be the voice of the customer. And part of that is, is that a lot of those customers on the enterprise side are people that I brought into the organization. We now have partner development managers that work with them. But, you know, I could probably pick up the phone with most of our top 25 or 50 and, and have a conversation. The second piece of this is, as we get bigger, how do you capture that voice of the customer? And one of the things that we've been working on since the beginning of the year is what we call a cross-functional squad. So we're, you know, we're 525 people. We're in three different divisions. We've got a couple service divisions now. And I host a meeting every week that various stakeholders have to contribute to. And what we want to know is what was said online. What's our online reputation? And what's the online reputation of our competitors? That's one component to the voice of the customer squad meeting every week. We do a trailing nine week on the metrics and we measure it. Plus we bring forward some components, the good, the bad, the ugly. We amplify the good. We try to get rid of the bad and learn from it. And the ugly, we try to make less ugly. So we do that across our reputation, what's being said on social. We use a sales intelligence platform to find out what's being said on all the calls across all of our interactions with customers. We dive into the emails that are coming in and going out of our organization and run some sentiment analysis around that. We have an online learning community ecosystem. We mine all of that data as well to see what's being said. So we're, we're early in this. We've only been doing it since February but it is turning out to be one of the most important initiatives that we've ever done as an organization because it brings these stakeholders once a week. They decide what metrics are that matter and they decide where there might be a theme and what our customers are saying. And we've also added one more component as we built this out. It was really easy once we started understanding what the customer was saying to us to add on to it. 
what we're saying to the customer. It wasn't that far to make that happen too. So we actually get both lenses. The language that is coming into the organization from customers and prospects, and then what we are saying out to the ecosystem or to the customer base. And we get that, that information every week. We put it in front of the senior team. We, we put it in front of every one of the divisions and they can start to move the needle on what they determine to be the metrics that matter. Wow. Okay. So that's funny because you're like, yeah, we're just getting started on this, but you guys are, that's like a customer obsession, right? If you follow Jeff Bezos, like that's his big thing is the customers are never satisfied and that's good because we get all that feedback and we could use it better. So you have this into like a scientific process to be able to continue us. And then now do you mention you take that information and then use it in your marketing message? Is is that correct? So you get the language from people and then you put that into how you describe what you're doing. Well it's you know as you get bigger, it's pretty easy to have things that that don't work and you don't even know it. So an example is we send an email out every week. There's 54,000 recipients of this email. There was only 139 of them clicked through last week. So when we, we finally started to see that data, we're like, okay, why is that happening? Like we're, we're sending these. We know that it's an engaged audience. What's going on? Is it the message? Is it that we haven't captured the value in our talk tracks when we're setting expectations? And, you know, it's a really important set of information that's being conveyed in this email, but we, we haven't shown the value. So number one, our reps aren't talking about it. So when they're on with their customer and the customer's talking about a problem, you kind of, you, you got to lead them over here to this thing that you're sending that solves their problem, like teach them where it's going to be. So that's just one example of something that came forward from this. And that's a metric that probably has been like that for eight years, but now we're actually seeing it and we're paying attention to it because it's one of the things that we are saying to our customers. And if we look up the definition of communication, David, it's not just me talking to you, it's me talking to you and your audience so they can understand it. 100%. And it's funny because as a smaller company, especially if you're really close to it, like you're the founder, you kind of have to put your ego aside and get the tough love from the customers. Otherwise, you're not going to survive very long. If you're afraid to step up and hear really what the customers have to say, you might be dead in the water because eventually they're just going to leave. I mean, there's so many other opportunities that they have. But as you become a bigger company, man, you can apply all these scientific measures and have strike teams and do all this cool stuff that you're talking about. I love it. I love it. And now let me ask you this. So I took all your time. Sales development podcast. Do you have a sales development team, SDR, BDR, tip of the spear? And if so, how do you use it to build your pipeline? Or is it all digital? You just press a button and you're all good to go, George. Well, if, if there is a button, could you please send me the details and I'll sign up for it I'll today. Send you the invoice. <laughs> Thank you. That'd be great. You know, David, we built inside sales from the ground up and I come from a universe where I carried a bag. So I had to learn a lot. We started with just BDRs. And then we realized that if we segment the sales and we have people that are really that true tip of the spear, doing lead qualification, working with inbound leads, maybe calling into some ideal customer profile lists, and then, you know, getting those appointments booked for somebody to go in and, you know, do a series of demos to show value, understand the prospect more. So the answer is yes. 
and you know the acquisition side of the organization is about 120 people right now and our SDR teams are also the farm team for the other parts of the business so we have acquisition and expansion and on acquisition we have SDR BDR and onboarding and as I mentioned earlier we brought on a, between a thousand and two thousand new channel partners a month we embrace product-led growth and then we have a expansion team that takes those customers and grows them. But we use SDR as the place that everybody starts. And what I'm finding interesting there is you'll you'll hire a sales professional, you'll send them to school because our stuff isn't easy. So you got to go to school and learn it. And you know, one of the things they got to be able to make a bunch of calls. They got to be able to put heat around a prospect. But guess what? We both know you got to put heat around people who pay us money. I've got customers that pay us a million, million and a half a year, and I got to reach out to them eight times and I know them well, like they've been my clients for four or five years. But the reason for that is we're all so bloody busy. So we use SDR, we need it by the way, because we need to get presentations, but we also use it as a place to harden that skill set of picking the phone up and making sure that you have enough touches to talk to either a prospect or even a paying customer, because all of us are very, very busy. And I'm not sure about you, but I'm finding that if you don't have that skill set, you're not going to be as effective. And I'm even dealing it today with R&D. They're working on a deal right now and we got to, it's GDPR. So we got to have some privacy folks and trying to get people to pick up the phone and just call the client and have a conversation. It's like a long lost art. That's so interesting because I find that a lot too. So if you have a conversation with somebody and I'm sure that I hopefully you don't have this, but they say, well, you know, I've been, I called him, I, I left a message, I sent him an email and I just haven't heard back yet. Like, what's your reaction to that? I mean, do you give them like a couple of meetings before you're just like, dude, why can't it, like, why don't you just call it? Like, do you get frustrated or are you just like, oh no, I understand. I try to get, I try to not get frustrated because I, I just expect question. that. Yeah, But, you know, David, I think that it's like, okay, you're not trying hard enough. Okay. Did the customer give you a definitive no, they do not have this problem, or they've already solved it with somebody else? You know, like, are, are you at a point where you, you know, oh, no, I just I haven't been able to get a hold of them. They, they don't want to talk to me. Oh, really? I noticed that you've only reached out four times. You know that you need to reach out eight to nine times to get a hold of anybody these days. Oh yeah. I remember you saying that I got to go back to it. So, you know, it, it's a matter of, of that mental game of sales. Like I, I got in an argument with our CMO the other day, this was a few years back and it, you know, it was a heated argument because he thinks that it's all just, you know, it's just science numbers. And I'm like, okay, the minute that it gets to be that we probably can get a robot to do this. You know, sales is a mental game. And I remember in the, you know, my early days, I was taught by a very smart mentor that, you know, you, you nine no's away from a yes. So you, you've got to expect that the door is going to be closed in your face. The phone's going to be hung up on you. They're going to ghost you. And that will determine the workflow and the rigor that you need to put against that prospect. And I, I remember the days when we take a new SDR and we show them that if you just make the ninth call to a prospect, you got a better chance of getting through. And they're like, oh, wow, it worked. Now, imagine if you sent an email, left a voicemail, sent a LinkedIn message, you might be able to even get a hold of them after five calls. You know, if we, we've got all this technology, but we need to give them a reason to believe because, you know, it's still a very, you got to have your emotions in check and, and it's a mental game in sales as much as it is there's technology that can help us. 
it still is an art and science. And and you said at the beginning, you know, if we could just order up a meeting, you know, with the top guy or the top gal at IBM, you know, we just order up a meeting on Alexa, right? And they set it all up for you. We're not quite there yet. So we still have the art and the science of sales that you have to kind of balance, it seems. No, I completely agree. And that said, back to my argument with the CMO, who is very data driven, and I'm a little more, you know, I'm more of the charismatic, you know, let's just deploy brute force against it. I've learned to be way more data driven and to really figure out what methodologies should be deployed, like figure out what good looks like, and then keep doing it over and over and over again and teach other people on how to do that. And that really is an art, as you've mentioned. So take the science and then deploy some art against it to make it repeatable. Yep, exactly. Well, this has been so interesting. I just want to thank you for sharing your knowledge with our, our audience. And how do we get in touch with you if we, we, we need more of this? Did you say you have a podcast as well? Or what's the best way to keep in touch with you, George? Well, yeah, thanks for that. I'll do the shameless self-promotion. There we go. I host a podcast for the last four years. We're on all the major podcast networks. It's called Conquer Local. You know, we're very excited about this methodology that we have to speaking to our audience. And I remember when, you know, I'm a radio guy. So doing the broadcast portion of it was easier. But what I was hoping to do was to scale some of my efforts around training, do it once and have, you know, 50 people consume it. And we just passed 20,000 monthly listens. You know, that's one great place to find us in the podcast. The other thing is on LinkedIn. I love talking to folks on LinkedIn. If you're not utilizing LinkedIn every single day, it is going to change the game in B2B. And this is not a paid announcement, although they have sponsored the podcast, but I'm a big, big believer in LinkedIn as a way to communicate and connect in a B2B landscape. Okay. Well, I've got my connection request on its way over to you. And I just want to thank you for coming on, sharing your knowledge, and we'll definitely keep in touch and watch your progress over at Vendasa. So thank you, George, so much for coming on the show. Well, thanks, David. I appreciate the invite. And thanks for all the great work you're doing at making the SDR work better and bringing this knowledge to your listener base on a regular basis. I listen all the time and and I've learned a lot from your guests as well. So thanks for that. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast. The only audio forum, 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.